So today's scripture reading comes from Romans 5, so Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through verse 21. Um, that's Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through verse 21. And I'll be reading out of the CSB, and I believe it'll be up here as well. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all sinned. In fact, sin was, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not changed to a person, charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespasses death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that... Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Word of God. Amen. All right, so we got some, some work to do in the text today. Um, our series is uh, Romans 4 and 5. It's called How to Get Right. Um, here we see a little bit of a description of what is wrong and what Christ has done uh, to help us get right, if you will. Now, one of the things that's interesting is whether you're watching TV or, or driving down the street looking at billboards, you are most likely going to see sometimes an ad for a lawyer. Yeah? <laughs> right? I mean, if you grew up in Greenville, you probably know who Joel Bieber is, all right? If we're hurt, we'll come. Okay, you got it. All right, you know what I'm saying? You know, hey, that's some good advertising, okay? You know, if I'm hurt, I don't know who to call. I guess it'll be Joel. I don't know. Um, but that, that it's interesting that uh, when there are ads for, for something, when there's a lot of ads for something, it means that there's high demand for it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be ads, right? So there's, there's a high demand for lawyers. Now, 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 lawyers are people who represent you. And no matter how independent you think you are, at some point, you will need a representative, yeah? At some point, you're like, well, I, maybe some, I need somebody who's a specialist in this or that. I don't, I don't know how to accurately represent myself. And the quality of that representation is important, yeah? You don't want just any old representative. You want somebody who, like, does a good job so that you won't go to jail or something like that. All right, so today we're going to look at the two options of spiritual representation available to people. You got two options. You're paying attention to the text. The one option is Adam, 
And one option is Christ. Those are your two options for representation. And it's important that you understand which, which each one offers and so that you know how to choose accordingly, yeah? All right, let's pray. Lord, would you help us to understand this text? Speak to us by the Spirit through your word. And Lord, we don't want to just understand it, Lord. We want to obey. And so would you pierce our hearts with your word? that we may be transformed into the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we talked a little bit about representation. I'm going to say kind of a, a fancy phrase. The phrase is, is federal headship, federal headship. Now, what this means is that there is somebody who represents a large group. We just had this big controversial thing that happened called an election, all right? So I, what, what happens is we're trying to find somebody who will represent the collective of the group. And it is important, yes? We want to have, like, like that's why people argue about it, okay? So, so this has to do with representation, with, with one person acting on behalf of another, on behalf of a larger group. Another example, you can think about a power of attorney. All right, so it's like if I don't have the ability to, to communicate what I want, I need to designate somebody, but like, hey, I need you to be my representative so that what I want is taken care of. See, hum humanity was designed as a corporate unit, meaning this, is that we don't like live and exist in some isolated way, that what other people do affects us and what we do affects other people. Now, now, I want you to understand, this was designed for our good. This, this was a design from God for our good, that we would be connected and that he would bless people and that people would bless each other and there would just be mutual blessing everywhere. You know, we, we, we see this uh, kind of like in family inheritances. Like if you have children, you, you, you want to work hard, you want to save up something so that when you're gone, they have something to work with. So the, the concept itself isn't a bad one. It's actually one that we rely on. In fact, the, the idea of corporate solidarity, the fact that we are in this thing together, is the reason that we do good to help others. If we thought our actions had no effect on others, well, then why would we help people? Right? But we actually think that what we do can have a tangible, positive impact on others. And that is the way that God designed it. That we will be intricately linked together. And that we will be a mutual support for one another. But something went wrong. Something went wrong with our first representative. See, Adam, he was, he was, as the first man, he didn't just act as an isolated individual. He acted in representation of all humanity. That's why if, if there's a family and, and if the father is doing well, then usually the family is doing well. If the father is not doing well, usually the family is not. Adam acted as this, represent, this repre representative of all humanity. And what he did or did, do, did not do affects all those who came after him. And verse 12 says, sin entered the world through Adam. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. So what happened here is Adam sinned and as a result, got corruption 
and death. I'm going to explain this. Now, first thing to explain, sometimes people think that God is, is a bit arbitrary because he's like, well, God gets mad at people for eating different kind of fruit. Well, let me just, let's step back for a minute. Okay, what, what, what is happening? Is, is it really about the fruit? <laughs> no, okay. The, if, you, if you pay attention, it's, it didn't just say the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, it's the tree that decides, am I going to decide for myself what is right and wrong, or am I going to listen to my authority who tells me what's right and wrong? It wasn't simply about him picking a random fruit. It's that he made the statement that though I would be blessed, God, if I listened to you, I am going to decide to do what I want to do regardless of what you say is right or wrong. I'm going to decide for myself what is right and wrong. And we have been reaping the results of that ever since. And if you remember, God said to Adam, the day that you eat this, you will die. Now, if you are a good Bible reading, reader, you would realize that like that day, Adam didn't physically die. He didn't drop dead that day. Like, so, so, so what happened? What happened that day? He didn't literally die, but his, his being was corrupted. So, so th- 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 when you think about corruption, I want you to think about a departure from the original or from what is pure or correct. You, under, like, you know, sometimes you get, you, you're writing a file on a computer and something messes up with it and like you can see some of it but you're like I lost a lot of it though <laughs> it was cor- it, it was you can still kind of see what the original was but but something something's not okay with it it's corrupted it's not in its original form and so what happened is the death that happened to Adam was the death of corruption that he departed from his original purity in other words he began to die See, God made Adam and Eve in his own image. And the day that Adam ate the fruit, that image began to decay. It began to corrode. Now, here's the deal. Adam's condition was inherited by all his descendants. Now, you understand, you go to the doctor, what they ask you, your family history what, what, you know, you got to like, you know, I'm like, did my grandma have, you know, like, I'm trying to think about who had what. But the reality is because of the organic nature of humanity, how we are, 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 are in a group together that what we do affects other people and particularly what we do affects our children. What happened to Adam didn't just affect Adam. It didn't just affect Eve. It didn't just affect his immediate children. It affected every person who came from him. And this is where we get this idea of original sin. See, original sin is is the the concept that it's the sinful tendencies, desires, and dispositions in our hearts with which we are all born. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's a lot of things like in the Bible that you have to kind of take by faith. This is not one of those things, (laughs) okay? (laughs) This is not one of those things I'm going to argue with you about because we all see the same world, yeah? I remember when I was um, 
I was doing uh, evangelism uh, when I was a missionary in, in, in Asia, and I was, it was with these college students, and we were talking about kids, and, he, and I was talking about this, this idea that we're all born with this capacity, this, this bentness towards sin. Now, one thing you need to know about this particular country in Asia is that you, they were only, most people were only children because they didn't have siblings, okay? So they'd never really been around babies, all right? So, so they were like, that's not true. Babies are innocent. Infants are innocent. And I'm like, fam, you don't know. <laughs> like, 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 just come to my house for just a minute, okay? When I tell him no, what he going to do? The opposite. Like, we see this. It's inherent in humanity. You don't have to teach somebody to do wrong. They just kind of do it. The idea is that there's this, this morally ruined character. And it's not that everybody is the worst version of themselves that they could be. But it's a departure from the original. It's the corruption of the nature, not the, the destruction of it, but it's something's off. And we all feel it, and I, I bet for sure we all observe it. We all like, something, man, what y'all doing over there? This is the state that all of us are in. Why? Because of our representation. Because of Adam. Not only this, the scripture says that death and corruption reign. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reign from Adam to Moses, even over those who do not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. So what he's saying is, look, when he says Adam to Moses, he's saying Moses is when God gave the written law. And he's like, listen, even if there wasn't a written law, people were still tripping. Okay, even at, like, you, you know this is true. Even if somebody didn't tell, like, these are the rules. You don't really, people break the rules and don't even know the rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's like, this, this death and corruption was reigning. Sin and death ran rampant, and look around, it still is. And he's saying, now, people didn't all eat, the, eat of the fruit of the tree. People sinned in different ways, but they were all sinning. That was the unity. That is the, the unity of humanity, which is, is sin. And he says, there's, there's different outworkings of this quest for sinful autonomy. It works a little bit differently in each of us. But the core of it is that we don't want to be told what to do, and we want to decide what it is we want to do. Now listen. Listen to this quote. This is by my man, St. Athanasius, okay? Y'all know I like Athanasius. I should know. This is, this is him talking about the way sin reigned from, from Adam to Moses. He says, there was no concern for law regarding corruption and vice. Listen to this. Every wickedness individually and jointly, was being carried out. Cities warred against cities, and nations rose up against nations. The whole world was torn apart by factions and battles. Get this. Everybody competing in lawlessness. Now look, look, now you turn on the news, do you see that? He says, you know, the scripture says that, that death reigned. The idea is that when something reigns, it's kind of inescapable. You see it, you see the, like, like okay, the, the, the government reigns. You see, you see the government on the money. It's everywhere you look. You're like, oh, we are in America because it makes it clear. The idea is that death is reigning and we don't have to be so convinced because we can look around and go, well, there, 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 and there. It's, it, we see it just kind of reigning supreme, this death and this corruption. And then the scripture says that this resulted in condemnation 
and in judgment. Look at verse 16. It says, and the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Now, we all understand that everyone's actions deserves consequences. Almost all of the arguments, all of the public arguments that happen are people arguing about, well, did so-and-so do that wrong? And if they did, they need to get punished. That is, all of it is that, that conversation is what's happening. And, and we think that it is right and good that those who have done something wrong get punished. We would actually say it, was, it would be unjust if people got away with everything. But the issue is everyone sins. Therefore, everyone deserves judgment and condemnation. No one escapes from it. All of us are together before the judge, and all of us have the collective sentence of guilty. And listen, not, now listen, it started because of Adam, but, but me and you didn't done some stuff. Okay? We have decided to do what we wanted to do. Doesn't matter who, what the authority says, doesn't matter what God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And standing before that judgment seat, the, 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 the verdict is guilty. Here's the interesting thing. This truth, this truth about the sinfulness of humanity is the greatest equalizer. Isn't that, look about this. We are all united in sin. <laughs> you know, yay. You know, like, you know, like, that is the great, like, listen, listen. Now, we, we, we're in a... We're in a culture that, that we're talking about identity politics and pointing to this group and that group and, and you know, all white people do this or all black people do like all the, but we're trying to cast blame on these different groups of people. Guess what? We all united and that we all sinful. And, and, and any, any type of, uh, of finger pointing that would try to single out one group as more sinful than the other is not reality. Because we have this unity concerning sin. And we understand that wickedness ought to be condemned. So this is the situation, not that sunny. So what, what then has God decided to do about our messed up representation and our messed up heart? God's first response was giving the law. Look at verse 13. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. But sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. In other words, the law clarified sin. You know, one could say that they didn't know what was right. I didn't know. But God wanted to make sure it was clear. In case you didn't know, I wrote it down. Okay? In case you was confused, which you probably ain't that confused, but in case you want to play like you're confused, I wrote it down. Okay? <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. People want to be all scared about the Old Testament law, but there's this, there's this question that I was taught to ask. And, and if you ask the question, who is this law meant to protect? The Old Testament law will make a lot of sense. Like, why is he making these arbitrary things? No, God cares about the innocent. He cares about the oppressed. He cares about those who don't have a voice. So no, you can't go killing people. <laughs> Okay, he cares about children. No, you can't be going to commit adultery. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just arbitrary. He actually has these, this intent of caring for people, particularly those who don't have a lot of autonomy. That's what the law is for. And God wanted to make clear what his nature was about. God gave the law so that we would know and also be held accountable. He made his will very clear. 
Look at verse 20. It says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. In other words, the law makes sin to be seen as what it is. The law doesn't make us more sinful. It just reveals sin for what it is. You ever heard somebody say, you know, in a very stressful situation, that's when the real character comes out, right? Well, when the law is applied, that's when the real character comes out. And we all know, listen, listen, this is why fundamentally we kind of dislike being told what to do because it is the mirror to our own ugliness. It shows us that we actually don't like doing what the authority, what God wants us to do. And you understand this, that telling people what is right often makes them want to do the opposite. Does it not? Don't do this. You're like, but why? (laughs) Maybe I should go see what it's about. So God gave the law so that it would be very clear his opinion on sin. He's not about that. He gave us the law so that our own sinfulness would be clear. But they didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. Look at verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Get this. He is a type of the coming one. That word type, it means a resemblance between something present and something future. That Adam did something that had major ramifications for all of humanity. And that Christ is going to do something that has major ramifications for all humanity. In other words, Christ came as the new representative. He came as the new representative head, the new federal head of humanity. In fact, the the, the doctrine that he was born of a virgin signifies the new start. Adam's father was God. That's what Luke 1 says. And who is Jesus' daddy? God. He said, we're starting over. The the representative message that everybody else met, we're starting over. See, what, what Christ has done will have similar but very different ramifications in the widespread effect of it. Verse 15 says that what Christ has done gives us a gracious gift. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes from the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. See, we read condemnation and judgment from Adam. But God in his grace sent Christ, and from Christ, he generously gives us favor. See, Jesus lived and succeeded in every way that Adam and his descendants failed. And the the grace and the favor and the rightness of that, the, the rewards of doing that, fall on those who are in him. He says that this grace overflows. You know, there's this, this one um, kind of commonly used metaphor. You know, uh, he said, David says, my cup overfloweth. You heard that? Now, has that ever actually happened to you? Like, if you like, like if you at the, if you at the restaurant and they just, you like, wait, wait, wait. like the, the idea is that it's kind of surprising. What, hey, what, what, time out. Wait, that's, that's too much. Like, it's so much grace that it'll make us say, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. You pour it away. Is that much you're going to pour? I can't hold it all. This is the type of grace that Jesus Christ gives. So much so that it's almost alarming. I didn't know it was that much, dog. 
The, the result of the gift of grace is justification. Look at verse 16. It says, and the gift is not like the one man's sin. Because from sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. I know I like that, that justification. Man, we get judgment as a result of Adam's sin, but we get justification. Look, this is from our church's doctrinal statement. This is about justification. We believe, believe that Christ, by his obedience and death, get this, fully discharge the debt of all those who are justified. What that means is everything that your sin deserves, every ounce of punishment, every ounce of, of recompense, all of it was put on Christ. Every ounce of it. it. says, by his sacrifice, he bore in our place the punishment due us for our sins, making a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice on our behalf. By his perfect obedience, listen, he satisfied the just demands of God on our behalf. Since by faith alone, that perfect obedience, get this, look, that perfect obedience is credited, it's given to all those who trust in Christ alone. Man, in Christ, the slate is not just clean. The balance is full. The balance is full. Justification is like we are treated just as if we were Christ. We were treated just as if we lived that life. He goes on to say that grace reigns over those in Christ. Look at verse 17. It says, if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that man, how much more were those who received the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We talked about how we see the ever-present reality or reign of sin and death because of Adam's sin. But he's saying that in Christ, grace and righteousness are ever-present realities. Listen, if you are in Christ, you can't go nowhere where you can escape his grace. If you are in Christ, you can't hide from his grace. If you are in Christ, his grace will run you down. There is nowhere you can go to hide from that grace. It reigns over you because of what Christ has done. That grace, that favor, that love, that acceptance, it chases you. And not only that, he says that righteousness reigns. Now, I don't know about you. I don't always feel in my heart that righteousness is reigning. Yeah? But, beloved, if I'm in Christ, on my worst day, what reigns? Righteousness. That's what reigns. When I feel beat down by sin, what reigns? Righteousness. When I feel disgusted with what I did yesterday, what reigns? Righteousness. You can't escape it. The reality of Christ's righteousness is more real than the reality of sin and death if you are in him. It reigns from you now and until eternity. And Christ's obedience is the cause of our blessing. Look at verse 19, for just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ's obedience to the point of death was the cause of our blessing. Beloved, for 33 years, he was obedient. I can't even imagine what being his parent would have been like. Clean room, okay. You know what I mean? Like, he is, from, from birth, he's obedient. 
He is obedient through the temptation in the wilderness by Satan. He is obedient to teach and to heal. He was obedient not to give up when he was being mocked and beaten. Beloved, he was obedient to death. Listen, what Christ did at the tree trumps what Adam did at the tree. At the tree, Adam said, I don't care what God says. I I just want what's mine. But beloved, at a different tree, Christ said, not my will, but yours be done. That's the tree. That's the, that's the, uh, uh, the, the, the picture that reigns over us. Not the sin of Adam, not the tree of condemnation. But beloved, the tree of the cross where Christ fulfilled his obedience. And if we trust in him, his obedience becomes applied to us. And the result of all this is eternal life. Look at verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, eternal life is knowing God and living with God forever. One of my favorite verses, John 17, 3, eternal life is to know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Beloved, if it was up to me, I would not be getting in God's presence. If it was up to me, I would not be getting an invite. But beloved, we got a VIP ticket because of Christ to know him truly. That the God who created all things says, hey, you, you, and you, I want to be your friend. I want to be your father. I want to be your rock. I want to be the one you rely on. I want to be the one that encourages you when you're down. This is what we get, this access to God. And beloved, it lasts forever, forever. So, so, so what I want for those who have put your trust in Christ is that every day you have to put your trust in Christ again as your representative. Because, listen, you look around, you see sin and death, sin and death, sin and death. You look inside, what you see, <laughs> sin and death. But if you look to Christ, you see grace and righteousness that pursues you forever. And, beloved, if, if this is foreign to you, if you don't know this, I, I'm going to tell you, listen, you got two options. Adam can be your representative or Christ can be your representative. Choose wisely. With Adam, there is death, corruption, pain, suffering, judgment, condemnation. With Christ, there is grace, righteousness, life, joy, peace. Beloved, choose him. Choose him to be your representative. You know, when I think about this doctrine, I think, man, what is... One, this is just, it's, it's, it's awesome to think that this grace and love and mercy reigns over me. But one thing that it teaches me about what I can do is that we get involved with helping others even when it's not our fault that they are in need. Okay? So many times we don't want to help people because like, well, they, they, they shouldn't have done that. Well, neither should you. <laughs> like, if Jesus thought like that, would you be getting help? No. He didn't do nothing to make you sin. 
He didn't do nothing to, to warrant this corruption and death, but he saw you in a problem that, you, that, that somebody else in you created that he had no part in, and he says, actually, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help you. There is no place for, well, well they shouldn't have done that, or, or they're from that wrong side of town. or, or no, 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 no. If we are in Christ, we follow our representative who says, we help those. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. That is the, that's the path that we follow because that is what Christ has done for us. Now, what does this look like in, in practice? Listen, I, I want every, every Sunday, y'all may notice, you may not, I actually want to, to give you a practice. How can, how can the truths of the word form what we do? And there is a spiritual practice that when I tell you don't sound that spiritual, but it is. It's the spiritual practice of serving. Now, when you think about spiritual practice, you think about prayer and reading, and you should. Prayer, read, fast, go to church, all that. But beloved, a fundamental spiritual practice is serving. A lot of times when we think about serving, we go, oh man, I guess they need my help. While that may be true, you actually need to serve so that you can be like Jesus. <laughs> like it is in, like you need to pray, like you need to read the Bible, you need to serve so that your character can be transformed to look more like Christ Jesus. It's a discipline. We don't, we, do you, uh, hopefully you don't only pray when you just feel like it. Hopefully you don't read the Bible only when you feel like it. I imagine it will be kind of low. <laughs> In the same way, we don't just serve when we feel like we serve as an act of faith saying, God, transform me into the person who, like Christ, would go out of their way to help people who are in need. <laughs> I just want you to listen to a couple of quotes about service from this book about, about spiritual discipline. It says, radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure, but in service we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. In other words, you're saying, if I were to ask you to sacrifice really big, you probably would do it because it would feel special. But a lot of times, service don't feel special. It feel ordinary. Okay? He, he, he goes on to say, the flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. Listen, oftentimes the reason we don't serve is because we don't think the job is big enough. We don't think it'll get us that much re recognition. We don't think it'll give us that much personal satisfaction. Beloved, that's not the discipline of service. Now, where do you serve? You serve in your callings. You serve in your home with your family. You serve at your job. But I just want to park it here for a minute. If you are a part of the church, you are not simply a spectator. You actually have a role of service within the church. That God has given you unique talents, gifts, spiritual, spiritual gifts, in order that you would fulfill actual service in the church. It's not simply something you come to. But it's saying, if, if I want to be like Jesus, and Jesus has put me with these people in this neighborhood, then that means that I actually have to serve in order to be the person that Christ has called me to be. And again, it's not only serving in extraordinary things. There's a lot of little stuff that goes on here. Like one example, we've been uh, hosting these foster care visits 
And these rooms right there, like the, we're told by the, the parents that come, like it's not fun going to DSS to meet with your kids. It's not the most fun experience. But if they can come to one of these rooms in here and have a little time with their children, that that means so much. And I'm going to be honest with you. That room is so ugly and it's busted. And I need some of y'all to make it not that. I don't know how to do that. That's not my gift. Or you know what? Sometimes these people are, are having hard times. I need some of y'all to get together and make some baskets for them. Give them, some, give them something, some, some, something that they can take home and let them know that the church cares about them. Now, listen, we have uh, all types of Sunday ministries that as COVID abates and as we get back in the thick of it, we're going to need people to serve in kids' ministry. We're going to need people to get here early to set things up. We're going to need people to sing. We're going to need people to greet. I don't care if you think it's big or small. The fact of the matter is that if you want to be like Christ, I'm not trying to twist your arm for me. I'm trying to twist your arm for you, that you will be formed like him and serving in the mundane, regular, ordinary things. That in doing those things, that your character will be transformed to be like Christ. See, we have a Savior that saw humanity and our unity with Adam and our unity of sin and condemnation. Though he did not cause it, he says, I am going. Listen, listen, I know we look at the cross and we should. But do you understand? He had this everyday obedience for 33 years. And that everyday obedience for 33 years is why the cross counts. That's why it counts. That's why his obedience counts, because he did it. And we have a Savior that has done this so that we can live under the reign of his grace and mercy. So let us be thankful and grateful and let us follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, that you are so gracious and so kind to us, that you would would serve us, that you would come down and live among the corruption and death that is in this world, never contributing to it and dying in our place so that we can live under the reign of your grace, under the reign of your mercy. Lord, I pray that we would remember that every day. That no matter what looks like is reigning in this world, no matter how much bad news comes across the headlines, that we would remember that our representative is not Adam, but our representative is in Christ. Lord, make us people who just delight in you, delight in what you have done, and then go and follow the footsteps that you walked. Lord, we praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.